This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Before I begin my lesson this morning, I'd like to thank you for uh, your prayers on behalf of my wife, J.C. Uh, I know y'all have been praying for her. Uh, several of you have reached out to her over the last week to check on her, encourage her. Uh, J.C.'s feeling better. Um, she had it in mind to be here this morning, actually. Uh, but our son Levi came down feeling sick last night and was sick this morning, and so she decided to stay back with, with Levi. Um, otherwise, she would have loved to have been here and seen y'all. Continue to pray for her, please. She's going to have a, a slow but hopefully a full recovery from uh, the illness that she's had, and we ask you just to keep praying uh, for her complete recovery. I thank you for that. Well, I want to echo the warm welcome to uh, anyone here who might consider themselves a visitor. Uh, I'm kind of a visitor in a way. Um, don't get to come over and be here as often as maybe uh, I might like to, to see y'all. Uh, so I, I'm only here every now and then to speak and to teach. Uh, so in that sense, I'm a visitor. Uh, but there's, there's people in this room that I've known and loved for many, many, many years. So it's always good to be here and, and see y'all. Uh, if you consider yourself a visitor... We want you to feel welcome. Uh, we want you to feel at home. We hope you find us worshiping God in a way that's pleasing and acceptable to His Word. Uh, that's why we're here and that's what we want to do. So thank you for being here. Um, I realize that school is beginning to start and so summer vacation season is sort of wrapping up. I don't know if you had a chance to take a summer vacation. Uh, if you were blessed enough to have some time and have the resources to take a little summer vacation, I hope you had a good one. Uh, personally, me and my family, when we're able to, we like to take our vacations in the wintertime, in December when it's cooler. Um, but if you got a chance, I hope you got a chance to take a vacation. What I like to do is I like to, come June, July, August, I like to, to get on Facebook and I like to see where my Facebook friends are going for vacation. And I like to read about their adventures. I like to see the pictures they post. You know, whether, whether it's going to Branson for the weekend, whether it's going down to the beach of Florida or Alabama, whether it's going to the Rockies in California. You know, even a few of my Facebook friends this year got to go to Europe. And it was interesting to uh, read about uh, their travels in, uh, in Europe. One thing I noticed about anyone that I've talked to this summer about their, their vacation I don't think I know anybody this summer who vacationed in Ukraine. Would any of us here sign up for a vacation, even if it was free, a free vacation in Ukraine? We wouldn't, wouldn't we? Because we, we know and we're sad and it's heartbreaking to hear about the, the, the bloody war that's being fought in the Ukraine. If uh, we were making a list of places to visit for vacation, Ukraine would be on the very bottom of the list. I don't know of anybody who's decided to take their summer vacation in the African country of Sudan where they're fighting a, a bloody civil war, where people are losing their life, people are dying of, of hunger and thirst and, and disease, and, and they're fighting a terrible civil war in that country. When we make plans to take a vacation, what we typically want to do is try to go someplace better we want to go someplace nice. We want to try to find a place that is otherwise better than what we might 
typically enjoy for where we reside or where we live. We would never want to go on vacation to a place that was having conflict and war and struggle and death and disease. Those aren't attractive vacation destinations. I want you to be thinking about these things this morning as I introduce the lesson. I'm going to talk about four reasons why Christ came to earth. I want you to stop and think about Jesus. Jesus left the most wonderful place that you could imagine when he came to earth. He left a seat at the right hand of the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving creator of this universe, God. You know, God the Son, Jesus Christ, existed eternally with God the Father in a wonderful, peaceful place where there is no war, there is no disease, there is no conflict. God the Son has existed eternally in peace and harmony in a wonderful place called heaven. You couldn't imagine a better place than heaven. But you know, Jesus left heaven not to go to a better place. He couldn't go to a better place. He left heaven to come to a poor and pitiful place that we call earth. A place where we do have death, we do have sickness, we do have disease, we do have poverty, we do have injustice. We have heartache, we have struggle, we have difficulty. Jesus left the most wonderful place you could imagine to really come to a poor and pitiful place called earth. Why in the world would a person leave somewhere so wonderful to go to somewhere so pitiful? Now, why would we choose to vacation in Ukraine or Sudan? Why would we leave a wonderful place to go to a poor and pitiful place? Only reason I could imagine that we would go to Ukraine or Sudan or some poverty-stricken country is if we had a specific mission in mind, a purpose, a reason, one of great importance to visit those types of places. And that's exactly why Jesus left heaven to come to earth. Jesus Christ came to this world with a mission in His mind. We're going to talk about that mission this morning by talking about the four reasons He came to earth. Now, when I say four reasons, I'm not trying to imply or insinuate that there were only four reasons that Jesus came. There are many, many reasons why Jesus came to earth. I could look out on this crowd and I could give you about 40, 45 different reasons why He came. Because He came for each and every one of us. He came for you. He came for the person sitting beside you, in front of you, behind you. He came for me. But what we're going to do is go to the Scriptures. And we're going to see what the Bible says about four of the, uh, the biggest reasons, you might say, why Christ left heaven to come to earth. First reason Jesus left heaven to come to earth, He came to save sinners. If this world didn't have a sin problem, if I didn't have sin in my life, if you didn't have sin in your life, you know, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come. He came because we struggle with sin and we're guilty of sin and we're under the wrath of God because of the condemnation that we're under because of our sin. Jesus came to save us, to deliver us from the penalty, the punishment of our sin. This is what Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world. Why? To save sinners. Paul says, of whom I am chief. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul the Apostle acknowledged that he himself was the chief of sinners. Now, if Paul the Apostle was the chief of sinners, I, I hate to think about what I am. I hate to think about where I fall. Our sin separates us. 
from the God who made us, created, created us, gives us the breath of life, gives us sunshine and rain, gives us every blessing, gives us the air that we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat. God, God has provided every good and perfect gift for us, yet we still make a choice to sin against Him and rebel against His holy will. That's, that's sin. That's a problem. And it separates us from God and it brings us under condemnation. Jesus came to save us from all that. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Those of us in this room who've matured and, and grown uh, to reach a level of maturity and accountability before God when we know right from wrong and we can feel the guilt of, of doing wrong, we sin against God, we're guilty. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The good news is Christ came to save us from the penalty, the punishment of our sin, which is the death penalty. 1 John 2 and 1, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. Now that should be our goal each and every day that we, we get up. Our goal as we go through the day should be to sin not, right? Our goal should be to follow the example of Jesus, reflect the goodness, the holiness, the righteousness of God and be who He truly created us to be. He created us in His image, as Brother Pat properly mentioned in his prayer. We should try to reflect the, the glorious image of God's holiness every day and, and not let sin come into our life. But when we sin, if any man sin, the Bible says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We need an advocate. We need someone to plead our case before the Father because of our sin. And Jesus is the one who was willing to come and be not only that sacrifice for our sin, but to be an, an advocate for us even today. And advocate on our behalf before the Father. And he, that, verse 2 says, and he, that's Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation is a word that means that he's the, uh, the atoning sacrifice. The atoning sacrifice that brings reconciliation. Jesus came to reconcile, to bring us back into a relationship with God. That relationship is destroyed because of our sin. So Jesus, being that sacrifice, being that advocate, being that propitiation for our sins, He came to save us from it. The good news is, is that He is not just the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, the Bible says, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now there are some who believe and teach that when Jesus came and died, He only died for a a select few. The Bible teaches that when Jesus came and died, He didn't just die for my sins or your sins or, or the sins of a select few. He came and died for the sins of the whole world. That's your sin. That's my sin. That's the sin of everyone who's ever walked the face of this planet. Jesus came and died for the sins of the whole world. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse, 22, or verse 24, it talks about what was necessary for Christ to save us from our sins. He bore our sins, the Bible says, in His own body when He died on the cross. 1 Peter 2, 24, who His own self, that's Jesus, bear our sins, yours and mine, in His own body on the tree. That's a reference to the cross. That we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Jesus took the punishment, the penalty that we deserved. He took it upon Himself when he, he died on the cross. It was like, it's like this. It's like we're in a courtroom. We're in God's courtroom. And we're standing before the Almighty Judge, God Himself. And 
The judge pronounces us guilty. We're guilty of sin, and we can't deny it. We're guilty in the sight of God because of our sin. And, and, and the, the God, the judge, pronounces us guilty, and He's about to hand down the penalty for our sin. And it's as if Jesus steps into the courtroom. Jesus steps into the courtroom as an advocate on our behalf. He says, Father, I know they're guilty of sin, and I know they deserve death as punishment for their sin. But Father, let me take their place. Punish me instead of them. They are guilty, Father, but I am innocent. Jesus was innocent. And it was that sinless, innocent body that He gave up on the cross to pay the penalty, the death penalty, the punishment for our sin so we could go out of that courtroom alive and free. So that's what Jesus did on the cross. He took the punishment, the penalty, willingly that we deserve for our sin so that we wouldn't have to die that death penalty. We could go free and live for Him, right? This is all part of God's plan to send Jesus, to send Christ to come and save us from our sin. And this is what was necessary. It was necessary that His sinless body bore our sin on the cross so we could be delivered and saved. He came to save sinners, and aren't you glad that He did? I'm surely glad that He came to save sinners like me. The second reason why Christ came to earth is Christ came to earth to condemn man-made religion. Now, I'm about to show you a side of Jesus that many churches, many preachers today, um, they don't necessarily show this side or teach this side of Jesus. A lot of churches, a lot of preachers today will put forth or portray a Jesus who is for everything that everybody does in the name of religion. Believe what you want, worship however you want, do whatever you want, and as long as you do it in the name of religion, as long as you do it in, and claim that you do it by faith, that it's okay. You can believe what you believe, I'll believe what I believe. We can practice and worship in all kinds of different ways. We can preach different gospels. We can teach different doctrines. And the Jesus that a lot of people believe in today is a Jesus that's okay with that. A Jesus that don't, he don't get bothered by the details, right? He's more of, you know, your self-help buddy. He, he, he's for everyone. He's for you. He's for me. He's easy come, easy go. I mean, the last thing that this Jesus would do would be condemn anybody, right? The last thing he would do would be to judge anybody based on what they believed or how they worshiped. Because, you know, that's the cardinal sin of our society today, to judge anyone, Right? We can't make it, our society tells us we can't make any judgments whatsoever about anything, and to do so is unloving and hateful and, and so on and so forth. Now, this Jesus that I'm explaining to you here, sadly, is not the Jesus of the Bible. What we need to do is go to the Bible and let it teach us who Jesus really was and why he really came. When we go to the Bible, we, we read of a Jesus who was not afraid. At the proper time and the proper place, he was not afraid to stand up and condemn man-made religion. We have many examples of that in the New Testament. Let's just look at one. Uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 7 to 13. Now Jesus is having a conversation, a very, a very heated conversation, with some of the most religious people that walked the face of the planet. And that was the scribes and the Pharisees. Okay? Jesus looks the scribes and the Pharisees square in the face. He's very religious people. I want you to listen to what he says to him. He says, How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, 
ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such, uh, such like things ye do. He looks these religious people square in the face and he says, your religion's all in vain. It's empty, it's meaningless, it's unprofitable. It doesn't get you anywhere with God. And he explains why. He said, you took the commandment of God and you, you laid it aside. You, you threw it over here, you pushed it to one side, and in its place you put in the traditions of men. And you hold to those and you observe those more fervently than you observe the Word of God. So let's, let's keep reading. Let's, let's hear what else he has to say about uh, man-made religion. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God. You take the commandment of God, you reject it, that ye may keep your own tradition. The traditions of men, right? Man-made traditions. For Moses said, now in verse 10 he's going to give them an example of this. Okay, He's going to give an example. Verse 10, Moses said, the, the law said, the word of God said, Honor thy father and thy mother. And whoso curseth father and mother, let him die the death. And that's what the law of Moses said. That was one of the Ten Commandments, right? And if you were a Jew living in Jesus' day, your Bible, which would have been the law and the prophets, your Bible clearly said, honor your father and mother. And the punishment, the penalty for that was, was the death penalty. So that's what the Word of God said, honor father and mother. Verse 11, but ye say, here comes the man-made tradition that they brought in. Ye say, if a man shall say to his father or his mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more. You don't, you don't uh, put it upon him to do aught for his father and his mother, making the word of God of none effect, you throw that to one side, through your tradition, your man-made religion, which ye have delivered, and many such like things you do. Here's, here's what was going on. The Word of God said, honor your father and mother. And honoring father and mother, it meant a whole lot more than yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am. We, we tend to think about honoring father and mother as respecting them and speaking respectfully to them. Actually, what honor your father and mother meant is you take care of your parents. You take care of them. You show them honor and respect by taking care of them. And, and late in life, you know, if they need your help, if they need your time, if they need your assistance, you take care of your, of your father and your mother. That's what God required of the children of Israel under that time. That when their parents were aged and elderly and if they became sick, the children were to step in and help take care of mom and dad. And that's all that was really wrapped up in the commandment of honor your father and mother. Now, that was awfully inconvenient to some of the younger generation in Israel at that time. Because after all, they didn't want to be bothered or burdened by mom and dad. They wanted to go live their own life and do their thing. And, and, and they didn't want to have to take care of that responsibility to honor father and mother. So here's what they did. They developed a man-made tradition by which they could sort of get around the Word of God. We can just circumvent this. We can develop a workaround. And here's how it worked. Here was the man-made tradition. What you could do in that time is uh, if you didn't want to take care of your mom and dad like you should, you could go to the priest and you could dedicate your wealth to the temple. Uh, you didn't have to give up any of your wealth. You got to keep your wealth. You didn't have to give up a dime. You got to keep everything. But it was dedicated to the temple. So, and the scribes and the Pharisees played a part in this. 
some commentators actually say that the scribes and the Pharisees were getting a cut. They were charging a fee to execute this dedication. So it was a money-making scheme. And if you dedicated your wealth to the temple, you could go to mom and dad and say, Mom and dad, I know you're in need, and I sure wish I could help you. But I'm sorry to say I've dedicated my wealth to the temple. It's Corbin. It's been gifted to the temple. What I should be putting toward you to help you, I've, I've dedicated that to the temple because I'm such a religious person. I'm such a holy person. I, I care so much about the things of God and so much about the temple and I've dedicated my wealth to the temple. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't help you, Mom or Dad. Isn't that terrible? To do something like that in the name of religion, to portray yourself as being holy and caring about the things of God when you wouldn't even do one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. This is just a flavor of what Jesus is talking about when He condemns them for their man-made religion. He said, it's all in vain. You've rejected the Word of God. In its place, you've put these man-made traditions. And Jesus says, it's all in vain. It's null and void. It's empty. It's unprofitable. You get nowhere with God by walking in the paths of man-made religion. Look, folks, that's why it's important that we always check and make sure in our faith, in our practice, in our belief, in our worship, we're following the Word of God. We've got a book, chapter, and verse for everything that we do, and we, we try to be that, that way. We try to be that kind of people. We've got to make sure that for everything we teach and preach and practice, we, we have a book, chapter, and verse, lest we go astray like they did. Lest we go astray into paths of man-made religion. You need to be careful. There's too much man-made religion in the world today. It's everywhere. And it shouldn't surprise us because it's something that, that you know, Peter warns us about. 2 Peter 2 and 1, Peter says, But there were in times past false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be future tense, there shall be false teachers among you. There are many false teachers in Christianity today. Many, many preachers, pastors, ministers, priests, teaching things that you can't find in the Word of God. You can't find a book, chapter, and verse for it. It's not of God. It's a doctrine and tradition of men. It's the very thing Jesus condemned there in Mark 7. Uh, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily or secretly shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. We don't want to get caught up with these false teachers. They're going to drag us down into swift destruction. And many, not just a few... Peter doesn't say that just a few people are going to follow their destructive ways. He says many shall follow their pernicious or destructive ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Isn't it ironic? A, a lot of people practicing the false man-made religion are the ones who speak evil of those who are trying to follow the truth of God's Word. Okay, We, we need to open our eyes and be aware of this, and we need to see this, and we need to, to learn how to discern between that which is true teaching from God and that which is false teaching from men. The way you do that is get into your Bible, become more and more familiar with it, and check everything you're taught by the Scriptures. Even everything I teach, it needs to be checked by the Scriptures to make sure it's true. We don't want to become guilty of man-made religion. Lest, if we do, we're going to face... Uh, the judgment that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7. 
Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven. Is, is that the Jesus that so many churches and preachers portray today? The Jesus that many people believe in is a Jesus who says, you know, anyone who calls Him Lord is going to be okay. But the Bible says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But who will enter into the kingdom of heaven? He that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. If we'll do the will of the Father, as we find contained in His Word, He speaks His will to us today through His Word. If we'll do the will of the Father which is in heaven, we will be able to enter into that kingdom. Verse 22, many, not just a few, many will say to me in that day, and this is a, this is a, a scene of, of the great and final day, the, the day of judgment. They're going to say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? These are religious people standing before the Lord on the day of judgment. Religious people. They recall the thing, all the things that they had done in His name. What's Jesus going to say to, to many religious people on the day of judgment? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now that's hard to hear. That's hard to hear. If it was up to me, you know, I might do it different. I might maybe be more lenient than Jesus would be, but it's not up to me and it's not up to you. This is Jesus speaking. This is the one who came and died on the cross for the sins of all mankind. This is the one who will be our judge on that great and final day. And, and he says clearly that many, many people are going to get caught up in man-made religion and they're going to stand before him on the day of judgment with a false sense of security about their salvation, a false sense of security about their service to God. And sadly, they're going to find out so sad. They're going to find out that Jesus never knew them. Jesus never knew them because they weren't doing the will. They weren't doing the will of the Father which is in heaven. So we, we, we don't want to get caught up in man-made religion. There's no salvation in man-made religion. No salvation at all. Fourth re or third reason why Christ came to earth, He came to save sinners. He came to condemn man-made religion. He came to mediate and bring about a new and better covenant. We live under a new and better covenant today, the covenant of Christ. Spoken of in Hebrews 8 and 6, But now hath He, that's Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also He, that's Jesus, is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. Now for about 1,500 years, God's people lived under what we call an old covenant, law of Moses. Nation of Israel entered into that covenant at Mount Sinai when God brought them out of Egypt. They lived under that covenant for 1,500 years until Christ came, until He lived, until He died, was buried and rose from the dead, right? They lived under that covenant. We don't live under that covenant any longer. That covenant came and has went. The Bible says we live under a new covenant, a better covenant established upon better promises, and Jesus is the mediator of that covenant. Jesus was born under the Old Covenant Law of Moses. And it's good for us to recognize that and realize that. Jesus lived under a different covenant than we live under today. Galatians 4 and 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, at just the right time according to God's plan, He sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Jesus was born under the law. 
You know, Jesus' faith and religion would have looked a lot different than our faith and religion because he lived under a different covenant. For example, there are certain foods that Jesus could not and would not eat. Foods that by the law of Moses, the old covenant, were declared unclean, unholy. Jesus would not eat bacon or catfish. Those foods were pronounced unclean under the law of Moses, under that covenant. Now, I eat, I hope it doesn't offend anybody, but I eat bacon, I enjoy it, I love catfish. Um, I can eat those foods because I don't live under that old covenant. See, Jesus came to, bring, put, to take away the old covenant and to bring a new covenant, a better covenant, which we live under today. That was His purpose in coming. And He explained that in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 17, when He said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus said, Look, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. That, that comprised that old covenant, the law and the prophets. I didn't come to destroy it. I came to fulfill it. I came to fill it full is what the word fulfill literally means. To fill it full, to fill it up, to complete it in every sense. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, to the very end, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Notice what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. What's that mean? Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets in a couple of different ways. Uh, the law and the prophets both prophesied and foretold the coming of Christ the Messiah. And Jesus fulfilled every prophecy in the law and in the prophets concerning the coming Messiah. So in that sense, yes, Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. I'll tell you what, in another sense, he, Jesus fulfilled the law by living perfectly according to it. Jesus lived the life that no one else could live. He lived perfectly according to the law of Moses. The law of Moses contained about 613 different commandments, thou shalt and thou shalt nots. Jesus kept every one of them. Perfectly. He kept every one of them. He went to that cross sinless, not dying for His own sin. He went to that cross sinless so He could take our sin upon Himself. So in, in those two, two ways, yes, Jesus did fulfill the law and the prophets. And He says in verse 18 that the law and the prophets weren't going to pass away, not one jot or one tittle. That's equivalent to not one dotting of the I or crossing of the T. Not one bit of it would pass away until all be fulfilled. Now Jesus said He came to fulfill it. Did He fulfill it? Did Jesus come to fulfill the law and prophets and fail? Did He come to fulfill the law and the prophets and fail to do it? No. <laughs> he, he did it. He accomplished it. He fulfilled it. And if Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets, then verse 18 te uh, teaches us that the binding authority of the law has passed away because Jesus fulfilled it. When Jesus died on the cross, He took the binding authority of the law away. It's no longer binding upon us. And He put in place a new and better covenant that we live under today. The new covenant of Christ was not new in the mind of God when Jesus came. It was in the mind of God for a long time. And through His prophet Jeremiah, 600 years before Jesus, Jeremiah looked forward to and he saw the coming of the new covenant. He told Israel about it. Now it would be 600 years before it came. But look at what Jeremiah said. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, that's that old covenant law, 
which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. So I'm going to make a new covenant. It's going to be different than that old covenant. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And he, he goes on to talk more about that covenant. Uh, one of the, the important features and characteristics of that covenant is that when a person would come into this covenant, this new covenant relationship with the Lord, the Lord would no longer remember their sins and iniquities against them. There's forgiveness in this covenant, this new covenant that Jeremiah foretold. And, and we live under this new and better covenant. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says in Colossians 2.14 that He was blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. The handwriting of ordinances here is a reference to the law. All the ordinances of that old covenant law, Jesus took those out of the way when He died on the cross. We, we know that but because we skip down to verse 16. Paul says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy moon, a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Meats, drinks, holy days, new moon, Sabbath days, all those are things pertaining to what? Those are ordinances pertaining to the old covenant law of Moses. Paul said, don't let a man judge you in these things any longer because you're not under that law anymore. That law was taken out of the way when Jesus died on the cross. And above all that, he says in verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come. All these things in the law were just shadows of better things to come in Christ. Which are a shadow of things to come, but the body, the substance, is of Christ. So, why would we want to keep living in the shadows which was what the law was when we have the substance through in Christ. You know, you, you put my hand out here in front of this projector, it casts a shadow on that, that wall right there. You can look at my shadow, and there's several things you could tell about my hand from looking at that shadow. You could count my fingers, and you could see that I've got five fingers, right? There's certain things you could learn about my hand by looking at the shadow, but there's a lot of things you don't know about my hand just by looking at the shadow. Could you look at my shadow and tell me what color my skin is? You couldn't, could you? You'd have to, to, to get the substance. You have to get the real thing that casts the shadow to tell what, you know, what color my skin is, to learn, learn more about it. This is Christ. This is the substance. The law is that shadow. We don't want to go on living in the shadows, not when you've got the real thing, not when you've got the substance. That's what Paul's trying to teach the, the Colossians. Same thing he told the Galatians, Galatians 3.23, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, under that old covenant, shut up into the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, our teacher, to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we're no longer under the schoolmaster. Old covenant law was a schoolmaster to point us forward to Christ. Now that we have Christ and His covenant, we don't need to go back to the law. It served its purpose. Hebrews 9 talks about how the end of the old and the beginning of the new covenant, that, that transition, that change happened when Jesus died on the cross. For this cause, He, Jesus, is the mediator of the New Testament, new covenant, that by means of death, Jesus had to die to bring this new covenant into force that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, 
they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death, the death of a testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So Jesus was born under the law. He lived under the law. He kept the law perfectly, but during His time on earth, He was teaching and revealing new covenant truth and new covenant principles. Those, that truth and principles came into force when Jesus died on the cross. And when He died on the cross, the old law passed away. The new covenant He came to bring came into effect. He had to die to bring in and mediate this new and better covenant. And that's one of the reasons why He came. And He was successful in what He did to fulfill the law, take it out of the way, and bring us into a new covenant relationship with Christ. Fourth and final reason why Christ came to earth, He came to establish a kingdom. Jesus came to build a kingdom. In Matthew 4, 17, this is... In, in Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. In Matthew 4, 1 to 11, He's tempted by Satan in the wilderness... And after he endured that temptation, Jesus began his, his teaching ministry here in Matthew 4, 17. This is one of the very first things that Jesus ever taught. So we know it's, it's got to be important. I mean, everything Jesus taught was important, but the very first thing he ever taught, surely that's of great importance. What did he teach? From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent. Repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When something is at hand, it means it's close by. It's near. The kingdom was near. Now there was a kingdom that God had foretold of 600 years before this through the prophet Daniel, the coming of a kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. God promised He was going to set it up in the days of the Roman Empire and Jesus was born and lived under, under that time and now He's telling us here that the, this kingdom that God had been telling Israel about for hundreds of years, it's... It's at hand. It's nearby. Soon to come. A little bit later in His ministry there in Matthew 16, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, There be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Well, now He says, Look, there are some of you standing here. He tells the people He walked and talked with. He says, Some of you aren't going to die until you see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. So we know that the kingdom that Christ came to build and establish, it had to come in the lives of those first century Jews that Jesus walked and talked with. He promised them. He told them, you, you, some of you here aren't going to die before you see the kingdom come. So this, again, this is another scripture, another teaching of Jesus that lets us know how close the kingdom was there in, in the first century, there in the life of Christ. The same chapter, Jesus had a conversation with His disciples and He made a promise to Peter. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus told Peter, Upon this rock... Now the, the rock that, that Jesus is referring to here is the confession that Peter just made in the verses leading up to this. Peter made a confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was upon the, 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 the truth of that confession, upon that rock that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell or Hades shall not prevail against it. He told Peter, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now Jesus used the word church and kingdom interchangeably here in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus used the word church and kingdom interchangeably and rightfully so because 
The kingdom Christ came to build was His church. The church that Jesus built is this kingdom. Okay? They're one and the same. Jesus gave Peter the keys of the kingdom. You know what keys are, are used for? If I give you keys to my home or my car, what am I really giving you? I'm giving you authority and I'm giving you permission. I'm giving you permission and I'm giving you authority to enter into my vehicle or enter into my home and do as you please. Right? I'm, that's what I give you when I give you keys. I give you permission and authority to, to do something. And that's what Jesus gave Peter here. He gave him the keys of the kingdom. Peter was going to use these keys to open the doors of the kingdom so that people could come into it. And that happened in Acts chapter 2. Right? Forty days after the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the Bible says in Acts 1 and 3 that Jesus spent about 40 days with His uh, disciples teaching them after He rose from the dead. And it just so happens, Acts 1 and 3 says He was teaching them things about the kingdom. Teaching them things about the kingdom. Why? Because the kingdom is now, it's really close. It's coming within 40 days. The kingdom is really close. And in Acts 2, Peter preached the gospel. He told people what to do to get right with God. He told them to repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 41 says, They that gladly received His word, what He taught them, they were baptized just as He commanded. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. These 3,000 people came into a saving relationship with God through the gospel of Jesus, through rendering obedience uh, of baptism to Him, these 3,000 people were saved from their sins. Verse 47 says that they were added to the church and they came into this kingdom. Kingdom was established right here in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem on Pentecost Day. Same day that Jesus built His church, this kingdom came. You know, Paul wrote to the Colossians, Colossians 1 and 13, about how those Colossians had been delivered from the power of darkness and had been translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. The Colossians in the first century, they were in the kingdom. The Lord took them out of darkness, out of sin, saved them through obedience to the gospel, just like Acts chapter 2. And what did He bring them into? He translated, He moved them over into the kingdom. The kingdom of His dear Son, that's Jesus Christ. Now there, there are some churches and preachers who will tell you today that we need to look to the future for the coming of the kingdom. They will tell us that the kingdom isn't here but we're looking to the future for it. The kingdom's been around for a long time. It was, it was there for the Colossians to be translated into in the first century. They were in the kingdom. We can be in the kingdom today. We don't have to wait around for the kingdom to, to come. The kingdom's here. We can be in the kingdom. Just like those Jews in Jerusalem in Acts 2. Just like these Colossians. Just like the Apostle John. John in Revelation 1.9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. He talks about how he was on the Isle of Patmos uh, for the Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John acknowledges he, he's in the kingdom. Just with those Colossians we just read about, with those Jews in Acts 2 we read about. See, Jesus came to establish the kingdom and He did. And it's here. We, we don't need to look to the future for it because it's here and available to us today. These are the four reasons I've wanted to share with you this morning from God's Word why Christ came. And I hope as you consider these thoughts and you consider these scriptures, I hope you can see 
the blessing, the multiple blessings that are available to each and every one of us because of the very fact that Jesus did come to earth. He didn't have to. He didn't have to. Could have stayed right there in the most wonderful place imaginable. <laughs> right there with God. But He did come. He came to save sinners. He does save sinners today. He came to condemn man-made religion. He still condemns man-made religion through His words today. Through His teaching, through His doctrine. He came to mediate a new and better covenant. He did that, and that covenant's available to us today. We can have forgiveness and relationship with God through that, the new covenant of Christ. He came to set up a kingdom, and He did. And you and I can be citizens, members of that kingdom. There are wonderful, wonderful blessings that Christ came to secure for us through each of these four reasons why He came. Like I said at the beginning of this lesson, ultimately Christ came for you. He came for me. Are you, are you here this morning and living in sin? If you're living in sin, Christ came to save you from that sin, and He can. He can forgive you. He can deliver you. He can wash you, clean you up, wash you up. He can make you holy, make you righteous. He can give you His Holy Spirit so that you can grow in greater holiness and be sanctified and be more like Him and overcome the problems and struggles you have with sin. He can do this for you today. Are you walking in the paths of man-made religion? If, if you're here and you're walking in man-made religion, if you're a member of a man-made church that follows a man-made doctrine, follows and teaches man-made traditions, you can, you can make a change. Christ came to warn you about that. Came to warn you about that. You can leave man-made religion and be a true disciple of Christ and follow Him according to the things that He teaches in the Scriptures. You can do that. He came to help you do that. Are you living under the new covenant of God's grace and mercy today? You know, maybe you're trying to live un under that old law. Maybe you're trying to establish your righteousness in the sight of God based on keeping the old covenant law. If, if that's our situation, we've got such a better covenant to live under. Let's let go of the old, let go of the shadows, and embrace the substance, Jesus. Let's live under that new covenant that Christ came to bring us. Are you a part of Christ's kingdom today? If, if you're not a part of the kingdom, not a part of the church that Jesus built, why not become a member of that kingdom? Why not become a member of Christ's church? Not any man-made denomination, not any man-made organization. You can be a part of Christ's church. This group right here is striving despite... Your weaknesses, despite your imperfections, despite your shortcomings, I know this group right here is striving to be the church that Jesus built. And that's a, that's a cause worth striving for. To try to be the church Jesus built. To follow His doctrine. To obey His word. Even though we fall short. To keep striving to just be the church that Jesus built. You can be a part of a congregation of Christ's church and you can have membership in Christ's kingdom. He came for you. If you're in any one of these four conditions this morning, you can make a change in your life. You can get right with God. God has a plan for your salvation. We're saved and we access these blessings through hearing and believing the gospel. Jesus told us in Mark 1 and 15 to repent and believe the gospel. Believe the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We've got to repent of our sins. You know, we, we read several scriptures this morning that talked about the need for repentance. 
And I didn't take a lot of time talking about repentance, but don't, I mean, don't take that to mean that repentance isn't important. It's necessary. Jesus said if we don't repent, if we don't turn away from sin, from error, from unholiness, if we don't turn away, Jesus said in Luke 13 and 3 that we'll perish. We need to confess our faith in Christ. You know, Peter made that confession in Matthew 16. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. If we want to be saved, we need to make that same confession. Confess our faith in Christ. That's not hard to do when you believe in Christ with all your heart. And this isn't hard to do either. Being baptized for the remission of your sins. This is something that Christ taught. This is something the New Testament church practiced. This is something the New Testament scriptures reiterate over and over and over again. The need for us to humbly submit to baptism so we can have the remission, the forgiveness of our sins. (coughs) After we've been forgiven of our sins, after we're saved, after we come into Christ and His church, we need to strive to live faithful to the Lord. He wants us to live lives of holiness and faithfulness. He wants us to continue to rely on Him each and every day for all that we have, all that we need. And never give up, never get discouraged, never quit, never draw back. We need to remain true, faithful to the Lord who bought us and saved us and cleaned us up in the water of baptism. This is, if I get to spend eternity with God in heaven, it'll be because everything Christ came to bring for me and my scriptural and obedient response to Him, as you see on the screen. This is the only way I'm going to make it to be with God in heaven. This is the only way that, we're, that you're going to make it, that we're all going to make it to be with God in heaven forever. And all this is made possible because Christ came. Because He came. We're going to sing a song of invitation. Look, if you're here and you've been convicted and you want to make a change, if you need our help, you need prayers, you need counsel, you want to obey the gospel in baptism, if you have a spiritual need today, this song is being sung for you. <coughs> It's your opportunity, it's your chance to make that change. And, and we want to help people change. If you need to change in some part of your spiritual life today, that's, that's why we're here. We want to help. If we can help you today, if you have a spiritual need, don't hesitate. Make it known by coming forward, having a seat here on the front, and we'll help you while we stand and while we sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.